0: Well, welcome to 2024 um, How many of you feel that? Feel that need for uh, sort of a restart, a reboot? i I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I crave routine. <laughs> the more I crave How many of you are in that place right now where you're like, "Look, I love Christmas, I love the holidays. I loved all of the stuff, but I'm ready to kind of get life back into some sort of a routine where things are a little predictable. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I, I feel like I'm kind of there too. and um, So I want to introduce a new series to you this morning, a new series of messages. We're going to call them In the Beginning. And we're going to walk through over the next several weeks, um, don't know exactly how many, but the next several weeks we're going to walk through specifically the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Um, it's a new year. It's kind of this idea of new beginnings, and I just really felt impressed to the Holy Spirit uh, for us to spend some time in those chapters over the next few weeks. Um, what better place to start than at the beginning, right? So um, I also um, want to give you this morning sort of an introduction to this whole series. Um, what we're going to talk about this morning is a really broad stroke view, and then as we go into next week, we're, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start picking it apart verse by verse. Um, but this morning, I, I think it's important for us to look in Genesis because people, I think, often have this misconception that the only question that Genesis really answers is, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Uh, how did everything start? And, and, of course, it answers that question, but Genesis is a is a foundational block in, in, the, in the structure of everything that we know and believe about God. Uh, Genesis tells us a lot about who God is. It tells us a lot about his nature. It tells us a lot about who we are and I hope that over these next several weeks you're going to learn some things maybe that you may have really known but you didn't really know to articulate or maybe some things that you that you know but you never really consciously thought about, and that it will, it will cause your view of, of who God is and what his plan is to just expand and, and be bigger and bigger in your mind and in your heart. And so um, before we get started, I want to ask you a question. How many of you got something new for Christmas? Just raise your hand and say, I got something new. Of course, uh, that, that's usually what happens. Uh, you'd be disappointed if you got something old, right? <laughs> um, how many of you uh, maybe even are wearing something that you got new for Christmas? You're, this is that first Sunday, and we know what it's like. It's that first Sunday after Christmas, and you got all your new your new swag, and you're like, and some of y'all laughing at me because I just said swag. You got your new stuff, and you're like, I, I what am I going to wear today? I gotta I gotta look good that first first day of the new year, that sort of thing. Uh, you probably got new clothes. Uh, some of us got new toys, new gadgets. Some of us Um, are tech nerds so we got new technology uh, new pieces like that Um, I know Kim was especially excited about uh, kitchen gadgets she got a couple of new kitchen gadgets that that she was like super excited about like I don't know how you get that excited about shredding cheese but but she was she was fired up about it she got this contraption that shreds cheese and it's really cool Um, uh, but everybody's got these things um, and and you've got You've probably got maybe one new thing that's like your favorite thing that you got for Christmas. And uh, I ask, um, I graciously asked Ben's um, girlfriend, Kenzie, that that is basically a part of our family. Um, I was telling her about what we were going to be doing this morning. And I said, can I borrow one of your Christmas presents? And uh, she graciously said that I could, I could borrow one of her Christmas presents. But um, there's something exciting about getting something new, Right. Like at Christmas or any time, when you get something that's brand new, it's kind of exciting. Especially if, you, if, if you've never had it before and you kind of get it at Christmas and you open up the box. And, you know, like with shoes, I'm just, we're, I want you thinking about, like, shoes for a minute, okay? Because there's lots of new things. But you get new shoes and you're like, ooh, there's the paper over it. And then when you unveil that paper, all over it, you're like, oh, there it is. And, and there's something exciting about these. These are um, one of Kenzie's Christmas gifts that she got. But... Um, there's something cool about getting a brand new pair of shoes, right? To to take them out of the box, like they're they feel different to the touch, don't they? They're they're firm, they're soft, they're shaped exactly the way they're supposed to be shaped. Um, they even they're so clean and spotless, like there's not a blemish on them. Like these, she's not even worn them yet, so the bottoms still don't even. Like, the bottom still isn't dirty. Like, it's so clean. There's something just really satisfying about having a new pair of shoes, right? And there, there's no blemishes on them. There's no, uh, nothing's ripped, nothing's torn. The colors are vibrant exactly the way they're supposed to be. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it even smells new, right? Don't you love that new smell? There's, like, new car smell, and you try to buy those things in the store, and you spray in your car and make it smell new, but that, that stuff doesn't work, Right? That new car smell is so fake. There's only a real new car smell. But there's even like a new, you know, like shoe smell. Like, you know, it, it's, the, it's the purity of the material that it's made out of, right? It's made out of like leather and everything. And so when you get a new pair of shoes like this, it's, it's the purity of the material that it's made out of. It's so new and it's so fresh you can, you can like even smell it. And so when you get a new pair of shoes like this, What is your primary goal? Well, you want to wear them, but what do you want to do when you wear them? You want to keep these jokers as clean and as new looking as possible. The goal is to still wear them because you want to show off your new shoes, but you want them to look new all the time. You want to keep them new. So we will go to all kinds of lengths to make sure that our new shoes look new in the beginning, right? Like some of y'all had new shoes for Christmas and you looked out the door today and you went, I ain't wearing my new shoes today, right? Because it's raining. It's not, You're afraid if I step in mud or I step in something that's gonna ruin them, I'm not wearing them. So we're, we'll, re, we'll be real picky about when and where we wear them. Um, that tragedy, that moment when you got a new pair of shoes and that first like splash of coffee or food or something falls and it's like those bounty commercials with the slow motions like, oh, and you see it going towards your shoe and you're like, no, and then and, and, and it, it stains it or makes it dirty and then you, what do you do? You take them home that day, as soon as you get home, you're taking those things off and you're scrubbing them, you've got like that first dirt or grime or whatever that gets on, you're trying to get that off because you don't want it to set in, you don't want it to stain because you, you want them to look as new as possible. You'll spot clean them. and I learned this too about like sneakers like this. And and you younger folks, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. I had to learn this from my boys. Um, Creases are evidently the the worst enemy of a new pair of sneakers. And because I remember Rob got a pair of sneakers a year or two ago, and and he was putting them on, and one day he wore them to school or whatever, and he came home and he was so mad. I'm like, what are you mad about? He said, I got creases in my in my shoes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Creases in your shoe. Like, dude, you're going to get creases in them. You're going to wear them. How are you going to wear them? Not he said, no, Dad, like the toe, like when you, where your foot bends going across, you're not supposed to crease them. And I'm like, well, how are you supposed to wear them? I don't understand that. And then I came to find out that you can buy crease protectors. It's these plastic inserts. Yeah, adults, some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? These plastic inserts that you can put in the shoe that go over the top of them that literally keep your toe, keep your foot from bending the shoe too much to put a crease in it, so so it looks new all the time. Yeah, we will go to all kinds of lengths to make sure our our, our shoes look new all the time. But it's inevitable, right? It doesn't matter. If you put crease protectors in them, it doesn't matter how clean you keep them. If you wash them every day you wear them, the longer you wear them, from the moment you put those shoes on and wear them out, they're not new anymore. You try to keep them new, you try to make them look as new as possible, but they're not new. And given time, the more you wear them, the more not new they become then the more not new they look, and the more not new they look, the less care you start to give them, right? And so then, eventually, you're not washing them when you get something on them anymore. Um, you're not sitting down and unlacing them and taking them off one by one. When you pull them off, you're you're just using the toe of your other foot, and you're pulling the heel down like this, and, and you're kicking them off and throwing them across the room or... Or you know, if you're my kids, you're you're taking them off after practice and you're throwing them in the back seat of your car, or or tossing them in your trunk, or something like that. Like the less and less care we get, to, we give to them, and then eventually, what do these? What will these shoes eventually become? Your work shoes, right? They'll become your work shoes. They become your your grass cutting shoes. They become the shoes. Ultimately, this is I think the the, the thing, this is the the pinnacle of degradation for shoes they become the shoes that you put on when you're painting right like if you're painting the house you're you're painting you got this one pair of shoes that you always wear when you're painting why because you don't you don't care at all if anything happens to them why because they're nasty they're old they're dirty and you know it's useless to try to make them look new again because they're so worn out they're so used you know you could never make them new Genesis chapters 1 through 3 is the story of a creation made by God, brand new. It's the story of the first days, the first nights, the first land, the first water, the first animals, and the first humans, all brand new, with no... It's the story of creation with no dirt, no blemishes, no creases. And it's also the story of that creation, that new perfect creation becoming not new. Becoming not clean and not perfect because of sin. Because of Adam and Eve's willful decision to disobey the instructions of God. And from that moment on, everything that God created became unnew. It wasn't new anymore. It had become dirty and it had become soiled. And we live in that world. That's the world we live in, right? We're living in the paint shoes version of what God created. So we're going to spend some time, like I said, verse by verse, looking through the beginning of Genesis. But I want broad stroke today, I want us to just begin with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You don't even have to look it up in your Bible because you probably know it. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's a very simple statement. But that sentence, that beginning, you always have to pay attention to the first words, right? Because they're always important. That first sentence in the story of God is, it has so much of the foundation of everything. It, it is the foundation for which everything else the Bible has to say about God is built. And you may say, well, that's, that's a real simple statement. That doesn't really say a whole lot. No, it, that, this has so much to say about who God is. It builds literally the foundation of everything else that the Bible says. You say, who wrote the book of Genesis? We, we give credit for Genesis to Moses. Even though the events in Genesis end more than almost 300 years before Moses was even born. You say, well, how did he write that? Not as an eyewitness account to everything in Genesis, but as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Instructed to write. And, and we believe that, that Genesis was written by Moses sometime between the exodus out of Egypt and his death. There was about a 50-60 year window there. Somewhere around 1400 B.C. was when scholars believe that the book of Genesis was written. And though verse 1 is really brief, there are some vitally important truths that are in this verse that establish what we believe about God for the entire Bible. And these truths are foundational to Christianity. These are things that we must believe about God. That we must know are true. And any teaching or any doctrine that contradicts any of these things about God is false doctrine. It's false teaching. So uh, there are lots of things. I'm going to give you three big ones that I, that we can find just in verse 1. Okay, so three Foundations that we find in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Here's the first one. is God's existence. From the very beginning in verse 1 of Genesis. Moses establishes the existence of God. Moses does not. You notice he does not begin the story of God. With evidences or proofs. To try to argue for the existence of God. He doesn't do that. He's writing to a people who know and believe that God is true. So there's not really an apologetics element to verse 1. He is writing and says, In the beginning, God created, as if to say, The existence of God is understood. The existence of God is implied and it's assumed. It's not something that we have to debate. And so as we study it, we're going to take that approach. Um, This isn't going to be like one of those super deep apologetics kind of sermon series where I'm going to give you all sorts of scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God. We're not going to do that. And one, because I'm not really smart enough to do that, to be honest with you. But two, is because Moses doesn't even do that. Genesis 1.1 doesn't do that. It establishes in the beginning there was God, and that's understood as a foundational truth. And so we're going to study it as if that is true as well. So the existence of God is in Genesis 1.1. Number two, we see God's eternal nature. The fact that God is different from everything he created because he is eternal, as where everything that he created is temporary. Moses' first words in verse 1 are, In the beginning... And that phrase marks the beginning of the universe. So when he says, in the beginning, God, what he is saying is when when human history, when creation history began, God was already there. He was already in place. God was not created. You say, when did God begin? He didn't. When was God born? He wasn't. God is eternal. And as much as that blows our little finite brains to try to think about, it's absolutely true and foundational to the character of God. God has always been. There is no beginning to him. And Genesis 1-1 backs that up. In the beginning, God, God was established, God was there, God was present, because he had always been there. He was always present. He existed before creation, and God alone is eternal. So everything that exists, exists because of him. And he exists outside of everything that is created. And and, and when we begin to think about what that means and the ramifications of that, it it makes God, I think sometimes we are so guilty of making God so small. The way we think about him. But even Genesis 1.1. Tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He alone is eternal. Everything finds its existence in him. That, that Hebrew word, the Hebrew in the very beginning, that word in the beginning, in Hebrew is to mark the beginning of a specific period of time. Guess who created time? God. Because God, what, exists outside of time therefore he is the creator of time and he therefore because he's the creator of time he existed before time because he had to have existed to set time in motion and so he's already there in the very beginning he established time by giving creation it's beginning point so he's eternal he has always been and he always will be And that should blow our minds. We should marvel at the eternal nature of God. But then here's number three. Not only his existence, his eternal nature, but his creative power. The power of God to create. And this is what we have to really pay attention to. If you look up the definition for the universe, like we say God, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. We say, well, what is the heavens and the earth? The word we use for that is the universe to encompass all of creation. That word universe in physics is defined as all of space and time and their contents. So the universe is all of space, all of time, and everything that is contained within time and space. Scientists and physicists would say, that's comprised of matter, right? So we have time, we have space, and we have matter. All three of these make up everything in the universe. And what we see in Genesis 1-1 is God's establishment and creation of all three of these basic elements of the physical universe. Verse 1 says, In the beginning, that's time. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. Before we even get out of verse 1, we see that God has created all things time, space, and matter. All three come into existence in the very first verse of Genesis chapter 1. You say, well, well, what does it mean by he created it? Because um, there's there's lots of arguments, right? Lots of debate about the creation of the world and how it happened and when it happened. And and we may talk about some of those things as we move forward. But on the larger scope, that word for created in, in the Hebrew, as Moses wrote it, is a word pronounced bara. And bara means to create but in an absolute way. And say, okay, what does that mean to create absolutely? That means that God created all things that have been created out of nothing. It's a phrase that theologians use, ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. This is what is distinct about the creation of God, and we have to know this and be conscious of it because this is what sets God apart as, as being holy, righteous God. You and I say we create things, right? We, we create things, we make things. But what we do is we take matter that has already been created and then we fashion it and piece it and put it together and we make it into different things. None of us, no, no person, no power in the natural world can create something out of nothing. I can't hold my hand out and create something, but God does. You say, well, what was around? What did God use to create the universe? Nothing. What did He put together? How did he take everything and put it together? Uh, like what, what was there for him to work with? Nothing. He's the only one that creates out of nothing. God didn't go to the Cosmic Home Depot with his list of things that he needed to put the universe together and say, okay, here's my, here's my list, let me collect it all and load it in my big truck, and then let's build the universe. No, that's what we do. We take what God has already created and we put it together. God doesn't need anything to create. He creates all things literally out of nothing. And there is no one else that does that. Infinite God is the only one that can create all things from nothing. And this is a fundamental truth of Christianity. Be careful when you listen to people talk about their theologies of God. Students, when you learn science in your science classes... Be a good student. Learn what you are being taught. But know that any worldview or philosophy that says that even if it's a creationistic view that says that God had to take something that was already there and put it together to make creation is a lie. Any any worldview of creation... That says that there was something in existence or something that happened before or that was already present before Genesis 1-1 in creation is, is a lie. You can trust God's word. Any, anything that says God took something that was already there and put it together, no. He spoke everything into existence from absolutely Nothing. There's another important detail about verse 1, and it's in the name of God. Moses says, in the beginning, God. The word he uses for God is the Hebrew name Elohim. Now, the word Elohim can be used in a general sense. Sometimes in the Old Testament, you will find it used as a general term for God, little g, God. But more than 2,300 times in the Old Testament, it's used in a proper form, to address the name of our God, the one true God. And here's what's interesting about the name Elohim. And I'm not really smart enough to understand it, but I'm going to tell you as best I know how to tell you. In the Hebrew, the word Elohim is a plural form of a word. It's a plural form of another word. But though it's a plural word, every time it's used to address God, It's used with singular pronouns and singular articles. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. But when you understand what Moses was establishing from the very beginning, it makes complete sense. Verse 1 is where the doctrine of the Trinity begins. That even in the name of God, a word that is in a plural form is used to address the singular God with singular pronouns and singular articles. That's on purpose. That's not a mistake. That's the picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all separate but yet one. And that's a mystery. Maybe one day, boy, I've I've, I've covered that with students before and with adults. the, the, The study in the Trinity will just make your mind blow up. It's something that can only be understood in faith. There are some things about God, folks, if you're trying to understand it logically before you believe it, you'll never believe it because it's not meant to be understood logically. It's meant to be believed only in faith. The Trinity is one of those truths. And so, from the very beginning, Moses is establishing this. So we see in verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Foundational things about God that we have to know going forward but then there's another in the beginning that's not in Genesis and you say well where's that it's in the gospel of John if you've not already thought ahead with me turn to John chapter 1 and look at the prologue the beginning of John's gospel and I want you to see where John intentionally begins his gospel the same way Moses begins the Old Testament John chapter 1 verse 1 says what? What is that first phrase? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him not one thing was created That has been created. I love verse 3 because it's very emphatic. He's like, if you didn't get it yet, let me make it really clear to you. Nothing has ever been created, has ever been created by anybody other than the word. And the word in John's gospel is Jesus. He's talking about God the Son. He's talking about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Because his whole gospel is going to be about the coming of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. And John begins his gospel not with, even though his gospel is the beginning of the account of Jesus' ministry, he goes even further back to say, look, the beginning of Jesus was not his birth. The beginning of Jesus was not when he was baptized and when he started his public ministry. The beginning of Jesus was back before creation." And there's not even a beginning to Jesus because you know what? He is with God and he was God which means he's co-eternal with God. So just as God has always been, Jesus has always been. There is no start to Jesus. Genesis says that God created all things how? Did God use any tools to build or to create and put all things into motion? No. What does it say he did? And every day, God said, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be water and land. God said this. God said that. Over and over and over, Genesis says, God said, because God brings things into existence with his word. And so John, in his gospel, there's the word and then there was the logos in the Greek, which is the word that, Paul, that John uses there. And, it, and, and that was a word that philosophy of the first century, the philosophers talked about the logos, like the, the all-knowing, present truth word. But nobody knew what it was. The logos was just a philosophical idea. And John says, I'll tell you who the logos is. It's not a philosophical idea that's floating around in space somewhere. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And not only is, it, is, is, is he the Logos, but he is the pre-incarnate, eternal God that was around before Genesis 1-1. And so John says he was with God in the beginning, and the Word was God. He, was, he, he had intimate fellowship with the Father, and he was one with him, Jesus was the word when 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 Genesis says God said let there be light and his word spoke light into being Jesus was that word Jesus was the agent of creation Jesus is the one if you were to say who did God use or what did God use to bring all things into creation it's through the son that he created all things it was through the word I want you to see in Colossians chapter 1, again, another one of my just favorite passages, but I want you to see how all of these truths tie together. Colossians chapter 1 specifically, verses 15 through 17, verse 15, talking of Jesus, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, don't misinterpret that. That doesn't mean that he was the first thing created. That means that he was around and present before anything was created. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 16, for everything was created by him, talking about Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and look, for him. You say, why did God create all things? He did it for himself. He did it for his glory. He did it for his pleasure. And you say, wow, that sounds selfish. No, it doesn't. Because when you are God, that's not arrogant. That's arrogant for you and I to be that way. You know why? Because we're finite. We're not God. But for God to do whatever he wants to for his own pleasure and for his own glory is absolutely appropriate because he is the only one. There's nobody higher, nobody bigger, nobody stronger, nobody greater. Verse 17, he, meaning Jesus, is before all things and by him all things hold together. So Paul even says in Colossians, Jesus was before all other things were created. He is creator. Jesus is the creator who existed outside of his creation. And yet when creation fell, he stepped into, he made himself small and stepped into his own creation and became as one of his own creation to save us from the decay of sin and from the death that comes from sin as it came into the world so there's an end to beginning in genesis but then there's an end the beginning in John's gospel too that goes back to the end the beginning that's in genesis and so it wasn't just God the father who was present at the beginning and created all things we find out that God the son was the agent of creation with God the Father. And all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. God is the supreme subject. When you think about in English terms, like what's the subject of the sentence? The subject of the sentence is what the sentence is about. It's it's the subject. You can think of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, God as the supreme subject. Folks, everything is about him. Everything. He is the supreme subject in the middle of all things. You may think some stuff is about you, but it's not. I may think things are all about me, but they're not. There is no other subject that exists in the universe that is more supreme than God. But even greater than that, I want you to see how the beginning of Genesis and Genesis 1-1 runs all the way through the entire story of Scripture all the way to the end. We've been in Genesis, we've been in John, we've read Colossians. Now I want you to flip to the end of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. Again, You've heard me read the scripture so often, or I feel like I read it all the time, but it doesn't get old. Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Look at what John says that he sees in the revelation. Then I saw a what? Just say it. A new heaven heaven and a new earth. When was the last time there was a new heaven and a new earth? Genesis 1.1. But now at the end of everything, John looks up and he sees a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. When is the last time God physically dwelled with his people? In the garden, Genesis, in the beginning when everything was new. You see what's happening? Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Verse 5, then the one seated on the throne said, look. I am making everything new. Is he only making some things new? Or is he taking everything and repairing it? Fixing it? No, he says I am making everything new and everything means everything. And he also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, look at the voice, the the voice of God that comes from the throne. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the what? The beginning and the end. Folks, what we read in Genesis 1-1 comes completely full circle by Revelation chapter 21. And God is the only one that can do that. God is the only one that makes things new. Jesus is the only one who makes things new. Here's big point for the morning. Christ is the creator, redeemer and restorer of all creation. Everything that is made. He is the creator. Jesus is not just the son of God who came to save us from our sins. Jesus is the creator. He is the creator of all things. And because of sin and the fall. He came and is the redeemer of all things. To redeem us from the curse of sin. And then in revelation. He is the restorer of all things. He makes everything new. I can't, we can't take a pair of shoes and make them new again. Any more than we can make our lives new again. But the promise that's in God's word, the promise from the very beginning and the promise that's in the end is that God is the maker of new things. And there will be a day That everything that he created in Genesis 1-1. And what we will study particularly in those first couple of chapters. Everything that he created in the beginning. He will make it new. All of the scuffs. All of the rips. All of the tears. All of the stains. All of the creases. Completely made new again. Can you imagine what living in that earth is going to be like? You know what it's going to be like? Imagine, I sometimes when I'm thinking about this, I ask myself questions like, I wonder what the first sunrise looked like. The very first one. As much as we love to be in the mountains to watch the sunrise over the mountains or, or be at the beach and watch the sun come up over the horizon of the ocean. Can you imagine what the first one looked like? Before sin, curse the world. We'll get to see that. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in a world where there was nothing that would harm you? Where there's nothing that could hurt you? Adam and Eve lived in perfect peace and solitude with every created creature that was on the planet, there was no fear of anything. Do you know that we'll live in a new earth one day where there won't be anything to be afraid of anymore? There won't be any death. There won't be any... Can you imagine what it will be like to live in a physical body that doesn't age? Wow. Think about that for a minute. A glorified resurrected body like the body of Jesus that lives in the midst of a new heaven and a new earth, completely restored, perfect, with no creases. A body with no aches, no pains, no entropy, no process of decline. It never ages. Because it's fully restored, it's made new, and there's nothing to ever make it old because we exist in eternity. And because God exists in eternity, he's outside of time, and so he doesn't get old. And so eternity that we will live in is outside of time that we live in now, so there won't be any getting old. Because nothing will age, because everything will be made new and it'll stay new forever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus is the only one who does that. God will make everything come full circle. And so I want you to see through this series that the whole story of redemption is found in the story of creation. When we get through going through these first three chapters of Genesis, you will see the whole story of the Bible. You will see the whole story of salvation and redemption played out In these first three chapters. And I want you to have your eyes open to be able to see that. I think that's what God wants us to see and understand. The fact that everything in Genesis. Is all about the fact that God makes everything new. And he's the only one that can. And that is good news. For people like us.